So, we are continuing to move on with our 13-part series that I hope to uh, finish up by the end of the year. I may even ask John to give me a couple 10.30 meetings if that's what it takes to, to finish this up because I am... Look, next uh, year I'm going to start a 104-part series, the very first Sunday that I've been working on for nearly 30 years about the restoration of biblical Christianity, all the issues that the church has lost over the last 150 years and what we'll need to do to restore them. So I'm kind of excited about that. I've been, that's sort of been my life studies and, uh, Hopefully we'll get that started. So our introductory verse for the series is um, is First Peter four ten. As each one has received a gift or a special gift, some translations say, employ it in serving. Uh, we are trying to to promote in this using our gifts for mutual service, clear thinking about gifts and fruits. Unity uh, in our own fellowship and, and beyond, and uh, growth in, in how much people are using their gifts. M many of our gifts are quite underemployed at times. And uh, so uh, that's something we should seek to address. Now, for chapter seven and eight, uh, some of these verses we're a little bit familiar with already. Uh, verse five, 1 Corinthians 12, four through six is the basis upon which. We are saying there are three classifications of gifts in the New Testament. There are the, uh, and they, they are, uh, the word varieties is a key to that. Uh, the word varieties, diuresis, means a division or a distribution, a distinction, a difference in particular, a distinction arising from a diff different distribution to and from a different person. Uh, and frankly, the, the gifts uh, that we talked about in terms of Gifts of temperament and motivation derived from God and his creatorial capability. He creates you with them inside you. Of course, they change quite a bit. And when you receive Christ in the new birth and you are recreated in his image, uh, and as you grow in that and, and so forth, you actually sometimes acquire and change in motivational gifts because as you become the person God always intended you to be, sometimes People might uh, be operating out of this uh, a somewhat prophetic gift, but it's really actually rooted in uh, some bitterness and unforgiveness and, and so forth. Sometimes people who have uh, gifts of mercy and so forth have them rooted in insecurities and so forth. So often your motivation, your gifts of temperament or motivation will change as you grow and develop in the Lord. But they, they will always be in commensurate to who you were always intended to be uh, in the first place. Um, now, the gifts of the, that we're talking about today uh, are called the service gifts or the ministry gifts. And we, uh, one of the things I want to address from the very beginning is this idea that's developed again in modern times of uh, a calling there, there's several wrong ideas that have come about with regard to calling. First and foremost, that callings are always toward these ministry gifts. But the, that was one of the great things the Reformation restored that the ancient church uh, had very strong, that all callings are holy callings unto the Lord. Your first and foremost calling is to minister to him as a priest, uh, as we discussed last week. 
But within that calling, you are called to serve the body of Christ and the world around you in a vocational capacity. You are called to business or engineering or uh, nursing or a doctor or what have you, a teacher. Uh, you, uh, uh, you know, a, fa a factory worker, uh, a food service preparation person. You are called uh, vocationally, and that is just as important and, a, and just as holy of a calling as being an apostle. And uh, in fact, it's as you're faithful in that vocational calling that you build the true foundation of character that's needed to serve the Lord in many other ways. Uh, that vocational calling is so underestimated in, in our Christian thinking today. People think in terms of, oh, I got a calling to the ministry. Well, we all have callings to ministry. Uh, we're not necessarily called to be remunerated or paid to be in the ministry. We are called to minister to the Lord, to the body of Christ, and to one another. And we have giftings to do that. But not necessarily does that mean that the highest giftings are the paid giftings. For instance, uh, it's very important uh, in a local church, the most mature and spiritual people are usually called to be the elders of the church, but the elders are not necessarily called to be the paid staff. You might hire someone to do evangelism on the campus before you'd hire uh, an, uh, an elder. We are all called to serve the Lord full time. So that's one way that the whole idea of, of calling to ministry has just gotten kind of twisted in our in our day and age. And um, the other thing is that, that it tends to be with that, quote, spiritual view of, uh, which is not really spiritual, it's just a kind of a pietistic or wrong, wrong thinking view of ministry. Uh, there's also a tendency to be very flattered. You'll hear people go, oh, I was called to, to be a preacher when I was 17 or whatever. Well, you know what? Everyone is called. And everyone is called to lead people to Christ, and everyone is called to disciple people, and everyone is called to be a preacher, and everyone is called to prophesy, and everyone is called to exercise spiritual gifts. And we are all called to be bond slaves and servants. None of those are particularly glamorous callings. They're servant callings. That's why in Grace Christian Fellowship, I don't use the term senior pastor because of all the connotations that have gone with pastor. I just use the term senior servant or senior minister. Um, I'm called to uh, do whatever it takes to, uh, to love, serve, equip, train, develop people. And uh, that's not always glamorous and, uh, and so forth. So I hope we get that. I, ho I hope we get that. So as last week we talked about some uh, some offices such as priest. Everyone has got everyone. Every Christian has the office of a priest. Uh, some people have the office of of elders, overseers, episcopas, and presbyteros, um, and so forth. But um, today we're going to look at what uh, the seven gifts of service that are listed in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight and Ephesians four eleven, and First Corinthians twelve twenty eight includes the words helps and administrations in addition to apostles, prophets, teachers, 
And of course, uh, Ephesians 4 adds evangelists and shepherds. So we're going to look at four of these today and um, three of them next Sunday. Now, the, uh, uh, I've given you the Greek in, uh, in, in your introductory verses. We're not going to read all the introductory verses. We just read about half of them. You can read them for yourself. But we're going to move right into discussing the seven. The word helps uh, is from the Greek antilempsis or, or limpsis, something like that. Uh, it's one who aids. It perhaps would accompany the motivational gift of service in some cases. It often attains to a certain level of authority in the church, sometimes even a recognized authority of being a deacon. But it's, you know, as people do various kinds of helps, eventually they, uh, they have a, a certain level of authority recognized by the elders, such as, you know, he's the guy to talk to if you're talking about uh, book ministry, you see Emily. If you're talking about CDs, uh, you, you see Jordan. If you're talking about uh, maintenance of the properties and so forth, you see Jason and Sydney. And, and uh, uh, you know, Sydney, especially the exterior parts of the properties, the lawns and, and all that. Now, um, often the word deacons in the New Testament, uh, were, the word really just means a servant. It's There's another word uh, used uh, it, the uh, doulos, which means a bond slave, deacon is used much more often than doulos. They have similar overlapping mean, mean, uh, meanings, but Jesus says that the greatest person is a servant. And he actually uses the word diaconus that we get deacon from. He's not necessarily saying the greatest person is the person who offices an office of a deacon, but uh, but who fulfills the function of, of, of a deacon, who serves. Now, often the, word, the deacon role was that we looked at last week was uh, administrating the church's many, many ministries to the poor and the needy. One of the most amazing reasons, if you, you know, I've, I've given a lot of study over the years to how did, how did the New Testament church start with way less people than we have today, way less resources than we have today, way less study materials than we have today, in a culture that was much more ungodly than what we have today, and that was much more anti-Christian than we have today, and instead of losing ground consistently as we have since probably the Great Awakening, probably going on three, 350 years now, um, and perhaps in some ways back to the Reformation, how, instead of losing ground, they conquered the Roman Empire in four or five centuries. And the, the reality of, uh, of it is that it's, if, we, if we had the reality of the biblical Christianity they had, we could have the same effect and the same results. It's not, that is not a dream because we've already seen it happen in church history more than once. More than once. And one of, you know, the early church, um, you know, many are familiar with, of course, that the blood of the martyrs became the scene of the church. Many are familiar with the fact that like there were in the second century, there was there was something very similar to the bubonic plague. And while the Roman people are so afraid that they left as soon as someone in their house got 
got sick, they actually would leave them and abandon the house. And the Christians would come in and nurse them and take care of them. The Christians would go in at night and get the abandoned babies that they would take to the to the to the city dump for the woods to kill them because the baby had wasn't the right gender that they wanted, usually a male, or wasn't had some sort of deformity, so they didn't want the, to raise them. The Christians would go and and get those babies and adopt those babies and make and uh, and raise them. But what the bigger picture is that from the very beginning, the Christians had ministries to the poor. Now, if you say, well, things were different then, wake up and hear this if you are still sleeping. The, the Roman Empire was more of a welfare state than what we have in America today. And it had the same result. The welfare people were the poor people because the welfare creates the poverty. It breaks down the family. It removes fathers from the home. It uh, congregates people in tight, tightly in urban centers. It uh, takes away self-respect and, and initiative. And all the things, the, the truth of the matter is government-sponsored help is not a help up. Whereas private help should have spiritual fatherhood in it and can help people move up. And the church did that from the very beginning. By the, by the collapse of the Roman Empire, Rome was sacked in 409. By the, by the time that happened, the Romans no longer could even provide welfare for the people anymore because they were so massively in debt. Remind you of something? The, the national debt of the Roman Empire became so high that it was very similar to what's going on in Greece and so forth. The, no one, they, the government couldn't meet the entitlements anymore. And no matter what rate of taxation. And the church moved in and met them because the church insisted that its members tithe a true 10% of their growth income. You couldn't be a member if you didn't. And the church didn't use those funds just to have $4 million buildings. The church used those funds to release more people into ministry, especially deacons who ran all their services to the poor, including job training and so forth. There were many vocations that if you became a Christian, the church insisted that you quit your vocation. You could not be in the theater because it was considered too immoral. You were not allowed to be a Christian and a member of the church and still be in the theater because the theater was too pornographic. Mind you of something? Uh, and But th therefore, the church would actually financially support a person who quit the, became a Christian, quit the theater, while that person was receiving through the church new vocational training to become a plumber or, a, or what have you, engineer or, or any number, other number of ministries. Now, all of this comes under the gifts of helps. 1 Corinthians 16, 16, uh, a verse that applies to both helps and administrations that we'll be talking about. Paul says to the, to the, now this is important. You need to understand who he's writing to. This is in 1 Corinthians. What's the governmental situation in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians is the least mature church of any of the churches and any of the letters in the New Testament. 
so immature that there were no elders yet in Corinth because nobody had godly enough character for them to ordain elders. They were worse than the situation we're in today. About the same in many areas, but worse in some areas. And so he says uh, to them, he can't tell them, be subject to your elders. Because there wasn't anyone qualified for them to raise up as an elder in the biblical sense yet. But he says, he tells them that they should be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the works and the labors. Now that's important because, you know, one of the things that, that will mark our growing immaturity is when I don't have to help Sydney get enough recruits on Saturdays because most people are too cool for that. I will know that we're starting to really become a mature church when uh, there's plenty of volunteers to pass out flyers when people perceive, hey, we don't have enough worship leaders. And frankly, if you really focus on it, you can become a worship leader in a few weeks. You really can, enough to, enough to lead some small meetings and so forth. Most anyone could, could do that. Unless you, I mean, there's a few people who just can't hit a note to save their life or whatever, but that's uh, more, more rare. Now, let's, let's read this verse. This, this, is, this is so key, and uh, I, I really appreciate, um, frankly, when we look at shepherds and teachers, the, the most hand-on shepherds in this church happen to be Jason and myself. And this is a key verse that we work with. He who's faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. Everybody wants to be an apostle. Well, start with being faithful and studying the epistles. That's where you start to be an apostle. He, uh, he who's unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Can you be trusted to mow the lawn? Can you be trusted uh, to take care of, uh, you know, a little old lady. One of the most important ministries I've ever had in my Christian life was uh, when we were at Bethel Christian Assembly. And, sorry. One day, it was very icy out. And I, it was kind of a rainy, icy thing that covered the cars. And there was this dear, sweet old lady named Dorothy Walker, who I saw putting on her coat. I'd never met her. And I came up to her and I just said, could I help you to your car today? And she was, oh, thank you. So I held her on arm as we went down the steps. And then I got her in her car and I had her turn it on and I scraped it and so forth and got all the ice off. And then I sat there and she shared her testimony with me including her son who was born with club feet and how he had got supernaturally healed and is now a doctor and all this stuff. And she became like a friend of our family. Our boys mowed her lawn. Uh, we'd go over and light her pilot light for her furnace. She was over for dinner. Uh, we were, you know, but, you know, it, that was how my, my kids started to learn to be in the ministry. In fact, it was, it was 
what a blessing because you know the, the boys would complain that the well she pays like only five dollars to mow the lawn when everyone else would pay like 20. And I'm like yeah because she's from a different generation and she hasn't and you know I, I can't adjust for inflation in my mind <laughs> I just can't like I go into most stores and I just walk out and go every nothing everything is too expensive I was just gonna get a snack at Speedway the other night and it just seemed like I could I actually left without buying anything because everything was too overpriced uh, I can't adjust for inflation <laughs> that's part of being old it's like this is you know I, I used to pay ten, five cents to ten cents for a candy bar not a dollar 25 for one that they've changed the ingredients to inferior ingredients over what they had when I was a kid uh, adding the corn syrup and all the other crap that'll kill you faster uh, then you know they used to kill you slower back then but uh, <laughs> you know and so I it, and it was a great uh, fatherhood teaching time moment to say hey she's on a fixed income she can't really afford to pay you at all it's probably a blessing to her to pay you a little bit but you're really doing it for Christ right now that is helps and if you don't start there you'll never be of any use to God. And I thank God. That's actually kind of a strong point for our church. There's people who help with kids rock, and, and the, but, but not everyone gets in on it as much as they should. And there's some people who don't get in on it at all. And, and believe me, it's really what being spiritual is all about. Use your hours of Bible study to volunteer for the snow shoveling. <laughs> call Sydney up. Don't call me. <laughs> I want to help with the lawns. I don't, you know, um, that's not my job. I'm on the trash detail. All right. So, uh, it, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will trust the true riches to you? I honestly believe that one of the things we have as a church is we have this core of people who give 10% of their gross, and most of them give much more than that in various ways. But then we also have a another group of people who miss once in a while and who tend to tithe more on their net. And once in a while when things are tight, uh, they might tithe three out of four checks. And I recently just had Catherine prepare me a report over the last few months. And I'm not trying to single anybody out, but I, I believe that's a major reason we haven't had spiritual breakthrough at Grace Christian Fellowship. I honestly believe that. Because it's, it's uh, you know what? Again, I taught my kids to tithe on their lawn mowing jobs. You've got to. You've got to learn that it's more blessed to give than receive. And you've got to understand that every place, people go, well, that's an Old Testament teaching. Every place where grace is talked about in the New Testament, the standard exceeded the minimum standard of the law. In the law, you were commanded not to commit adultery. Jesus, when talking about what it means to be a grace filled follower of him in Matthew 5 says don't even lust in your heart I want to get rid of the whole core of the problem for you I want to write a new creation on your heart you aren't supposed to kill 
I'm saying don't even call your brother an empty head because the, the essence of murder is diminishing someone else's personhood. You know, if you ever know, hung around 7th and 8th grade boys, they're really good at, like, fighting cut-down wars and stuff, right? And what is that all about? It's murder. It's an evil spirit. It's a terrible thing. I used to, oh, I used to struggle so much with our young guys when they just cutting each other down all the time and, and fighting over who gets to sit in the front seat and other kind of shit. It's murder. It's not a small point. It's trying to elevate yourself by diminishing someone else will never work. It's that that's what's behind prejudice. Prejudice is is trying to is insecure people being hateful to somehow think they could feel better about themselves by doing that. Now, I, I beg of you, see, this gift of, of helps is huge. It has to become the fiber of your character if you're ever going to know Jesus Christ in any kind of intimacy. You know what? Jesus saw a woman in, the, in a funeral procession with her dead son, and he went over and raised that boy from the dead. And that all got started in things the Gospels don't tell us about Jesus being raised in Joseph and Mary's house and the responsibility of the oldest brother and the responsibility he had for his father's carpentry business. And the responsibility that he had, because at some point his father died, and he had to continue the business, and taking care of practical needs and, and his compassion working itself out in very ordinary ways. Now, you, I, you could tell me I'm going too far, but I don't think so. Therefore, if you've not been useful in the faith, faith been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? There is a one-to-one -one correlation between people who are generous, who give to their local church above 10%, and help other Christian causes, such as crisis pregnancy centers and other things, and having true spiritual insight. <laughs> I got to listen this week. I, I was in a situation with a young brother and, a, and an older man of God uh, who's very generous. And the older man of God taught this guy for like 30 minutes all about vocation and business and so forth. And uh, I, I didn't say a word. I, I eavesdropped and listened. And, uh, and it was amazing. Uh, love and impartation and service. And... Uh, because the guy's a young guy, he said, well, I like when you talk to me, you talk about more spiritual things like reading the word. And they, believe me, it's just a spiritual thing. It's the, your vocation is the heart of what it means to be spiritual. When you're a student, your vocation is to be a student. And if you're a student and you don't get very good grades, then you're not being faithful in, that, in the, little, the little things that God's called you to, and he'll never raise you up. Now, I believe there are some people who 
maybe uh, intellectually slow or something like that, who are not capable of being honor students. That's why you have to compete with who you are. But believe me, we, I don't think we have anybody in our church that's on the intellectual level that they couldn't be an honor student. It's a matter, and it's a matter of building that character steadily every day. That's what it means to be spiritual. If your job is mowing the lawn, taking out the trash, that every parent knows that when they first start teaching their kid to take out the trash and mow the lawn, it's a whole lot easier to just do it yourself. It really takes a lot more work for mom to teach or dad to teach the kid to take out the trash than to just do it. But it's necessary that they do it. It's necessary for their character. If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I am glad that the I'm going to be entering my 40th year as a Christian next year, and I believe that it's going to have a lot to do with our church breaking, you know, why we're starting to break forward now and, and get new people and, and some young guys with potential and spiritual momentum and things like that. But I want to tell you, I am so glad that the majority of my Christian life, I've not been the senior pastor of the ministries I've served. I hope you can hear that. And that was even sometimes when I was the most knowledgeable person about scripture and theology and so forth, God chose cause, you know, we were at Bethel Christian Assembly. I was probably the most educated person in the church, including the pastors. But I basically set up the Sunday school rooms with, and with my boys and my girls, actually. We all set up the Sunday school rooms on Saturday nights, and we ran, we, whatever you call it, we, the push broom in the hallway, and, and we did all that kind of stuff. Whatever was needed. I pray that you will cry out to God to grow in the gift of helps. I got to move on or I'm never going to finish. Administrations. Somewhat related, but often a little bit more authoritative. It means literally a governor or administrator. Kubernetes, uh, from Kubernetes to steer, figuratively directorship in the church, government, a growing often accompanies the motivational gift of leadership or administration or the motivational gift of service. Those two, remember the seven motivational gifts. Uh, administrators attain to a certain level of authority, usually a little bit more than helps. Uh, when, when they attain to a certain level of maturity, if they, if they have also the, the teaching and capabilities and the pastoral capabilities that would make them a good elder in, in time, then they often uh, serve as deacons because that's a, always one of the best stepping stones to becoming an elder. Uh, now, many po apostles are administratively gifted who are shepherds, teachers, and advantage. Uh, uh, apostles are usually a guy who, who was functioning in, in the, uh, some of the others that we're going to study here, a shepherd, a teacher, and an evangelist all in one but who has also a great capacity for administration. And we'll look at what an apostle is next week. But um, again, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, 
that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the works and the labors. Some people are just good at being in charge and of knowing, don't use this guy here because they, you know, use this person. A good administrator knows who to assign to each task. We have several good administrators in our church, both male and female. Teachers, let's move on. Uh, a teacher comes from the word didaskalos, which we get the word didactic from. Uh, didactic is a type of teaching. Uh, the epistles have a lot of didactic teaching. Didactic means you're, you're just stating principles and the facts, uh, whereas much of the Bible teaches in metaphors and word pictures and images and foreshadowings and types. Didactic teaching... Uh, is typical of the Apostle Paul. Uh, not, and not that they don't use the other, put, put di all kinds of word pictures and images and so forth in their didactic teaching, but uh, didactic teachers kind of lay out things logically. It's kind of what we're doing today, actually. Hebrews 5.12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle gods, of oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. We are living in a crisis of lack of Bible study. It's nationwide. It's it's worldwide. Uh, it's it's something that developed after the Civil War for reasons we've talked about elsewhere, but it's causing us to have situations where we have people getting involved in various ministries that really need to study more. To, to fulfill the ministry God's called them to. Um, I, I just can't emphasize enough that God wants you to be able to lead someone to Christ, lay all their foundations in the Lord, cast out their demons, teach them about and bring them into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and provide pastoral counsel. You know, in Romans, Paul, a verse that, that J.E. Adams uses in his book called Competent to Counsel, he says, I am convinced that you're competent to counsel one another. There should be many, many people who have basic, have read the basic tour. You know what? You can know the Roman Catholic uh teaching of the Middle Ages on the healing of the souls that, that, antis, that was basically the forerunner of what the humanists stole, what Freud and everyone began to trisp when they wanted to attack psychology. Uh, you can know the basic evangelical views that, that Dobson and Crabtree and uh, the best place to start is read a book called Love is a Choice by Minerth Meyer and Hemfelt. Uh, you can read, you can know about Nuthetic Counseling by reading Competent to Counsel. You can read two, three, four books and know more about counseling than 90% of church leaders out there today. And you can be very helpful. You can be a great servant to people because you have that, you've equipped yourself with that knowledge. Now, that does not mean I still do refer people to professional counseling. And I try my best to help people who won't go to professional counseling because they're too cheap or, or whatever the reason. But uh, believe me, sometimes professional counseling is helpful and needed, but we, we, God wants us to be equipped to counsel one another. 
He really does. Now, uh, here's three types of teaching that is very important for us to understand. Um, I'm going to I'm going to have to not read all the scriptures that are associated with one, but here's here's one of the things we're struggling with. If you go first of all, almost no churches offer personal pastoral discipleship. Personal shepherding care, personal character formation, personal teaching. I have often on my second or third meeting with all sorts of people, some of the people I'm meeting with at Wright State right now that aren't coming to our church yet and so forth, I'll often talk to them and they will tell me, I've gone to church for most of my life and I've never spent as much time as my, with my pastor as I've spent in the two or three meetings with you. And I just want to cry. That's pathetic. Everyone needs a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. Uh, it's often it is ideal if they're if uh, the people who do it are married couples because marriage is so undermined and under attack in our culture. But um, there are the few groups that do disciple are usually parachurch groups. They're usually groups like Campus Crusade for Christ or or what have you. They're, in other words, they're usually campus ministries. But churches are supposed to disciple. Every church should have a network of people trained and qualified to be shepherds and teachers that can personally one-on-one -on -one pastor and care. Now, they do that in lots of campus ministries. There's several on Wright State campus that do that. Uh, campus Crusade for Christ, Chi Alpha, uh, InterVarsity, etc. But the church is supposed to do that in the Bible, not parachurch groups. One of the problems with parachurch groups doing it is you'll you'll always be in an endless cycle of guys that are only three and four years old in the Lord doing it. When guys who are 7, 10, 20, 40, 50, 80 years of the Lord, I love that I have a pastor who started in the ministry the summer before I was born. And I'm not exactly a spring chicken, don't remind me. So... Uh, normally, what happens is this. Whatever discipleship is normally out there is informational. Let's take you through First and Second Timothy. Well, information is good. But information can be provided. If people are really converted to Christ, Peter says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Someone who's really been converted to Christ wants to study their word. They're hungry. If there's life, there's hunger. Ask anyone who's ever had teenagers. <laughs> if there's life, there's hunger. We were watching football. Fawn and I did. And with this uh, one team we were watching had two guys who were uh, that play offensive line that are brothers. And I thought, that I really feel sorry for their mother when they were teenagers. <laughs> two 300-pounders and full. Of <laughs> that must have been quite a food bill. Uh if there's life, there's hunger. But Jesus' discipleship, Paul's discipleship, Moses with Joshua, anytime Elijah and Elisha, if you study discipleship in the scriptures, you'll see that there's formation involved. Formation is, you know, I drive, I drive the guys I disciple nuts when I tell them things like, when I don't have to remind you that trash night is Wednesday, I'll know you're starting to grow. 
when I don't have to remind you to seek me out, instead of me seeking you out, I'll know you're starting to grow. When I don't hear about things that are potential stumbling blocks or information that needs to be shared, like I'm not coming to the meeting from someone else, I'll know you're starting to grow. You know what? If you're a bad communicator, don't give me that I was raised in a bad family or wrong culture. That is lying crap. That is just the flesh. Because the root of it is always this. A person who considers someone more important than themselves is a good communicator. I sometimes just send back texts that say, thank you for keeping us in the loop. Quite a few of you have gotten those texts from me. Because I, because you know what? It's a mark of consideration and maturity to say, gee, I'm not going to be there next Sunday because whatever. And there are some people who just know to do that. There are other people that you always have to worry where the heck they are and what happened. Because they're thinking only of themselves. And if you don't conquer that, you'll be a lousy husband or a lousy wife. It tends to be more... Uh, Men tend to have the problem more than women, but you don't marry someone who's not considerate about communication. That's called formation. You need a pastor who loves you enough to insist on that. Frankly, you need a spouse that loves you enough to insist on that. Impartation. Uh, I, I, I will read... Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11 and A there. Uh, now you followed my teaching, contact, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Now that's a lot more than following my doctrine, isn't it? Have you been willing to suffer as much and pay as big a price as your pastor? Have you been willing to take on his level of zeal? What about knowing his purpose? What really motivates him? What about being able to say, I know Ray Nethery so well, I know what makes his heart tick. I know what motivates him to press on in the Lord. I know why he's going to be 84 December 9th, and he's not even thinking about retiring. because he sees himself as having work to do and so forth. It's an, enough for his disciple that he become like his teacher. Impartation in, and formation are so much more valuable than just information. Information can be as simple as pointing people to, to a systematic and comprehensive study of the Bible and encouraging them to read certain books and go through certain classes, all of which is important but it'll never get the person to where God's called them to be in their calling. And it will always, we will, if we're informationally oriented, we'll perpetuate the current model of churches where the pastor knows it all and is the only one, there's only one teaching pastor and everyone else is a spectator who enjoys the high quality of the worship that's, you know, matches TV standards and the high quality of the speech maker who doesn't run over his time like me and uh, gives better speeches. But you just sit there and, and you, you, you're being entertained. 
I remember talking to a grandma who goes to one of the big churches in town. I don't want to pick on any one church. It's the model that's out there. And we were helping her grandchildren who live in the neighborhood, and they still come over to my house to see me, even though they go to another church now, but they're growing in the Lord. And I suggested to her that she could help with something like the tutoring. And she said, oh, no, I, I know that I couldn't do that. She'd been going to a woman's Bible study, uh, a Wednesday night service, and a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service at the same church for 35 years. And she felt she couldn't help with ministering to the kids because she felt she wasn't qualified. That's what informational discipling will get us. We can't, we can't go there. It's a good segue into our present predicament. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their own ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, uh, that the ESV says their own passions, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. I normally don't mention specific ministries, but I think this one has crossed the line to probably not even being Christian, so I was still, so I, it's, it's okay. But you, guys like Joel Olstein, do you know he's like probably the best belt? That, that stuff is poison. It's, it promotes narcissism and self. God doesn't want you to have your best life now. He wants to kill you so that life can come forth. He wants you to die so that you can bring forth someone else's best life now. And it's, it scares the heck out of me what sells in the so-called Christian bookstores. It really does. It's scary. The deceptive views of eschatology are the number one sellers. And all kinds of things about how you can self-actualize and self-self and self-self and love yourself and scares me well shepherds we've touched a little on and i'm almost out of time i think what i'll do is um i will pick up with talking about shepherds next week and hopefully we can get through shepherds evangelists prophets and apostles next week amen